Obviously, it's Superhero Sunday. I wanted to do something that kind of reflects that a little bit, but it just so happened that where it fell in our study of Matthew brings it exactly there anyway, which is brilliant. So if you do have a Bible, it's Matthew 17 that we want. Um, and it's the transfiguration, the story of the transfiguration, which is as far as like pretty kind of epic moments go, like Superman's kind of got nothing on that really. Um, so you, you'll find that uh, in the Bibles, uh, it's Matthew 17. And uh, I was thinking a little bit about what it means to, uh, for us maybe perhaps, or if you wanted to be a hero, you know, all these movies We've got Superman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, all these people. Um, they've got kind of one thing in common, not that they wear capes and masks, but to be heroic is to rescue. Like in all of these, all the good guys are those that are rescuing people, laying their life on the line for others. Um, generally speaking, whether that's to save one individual or to save a whole planet. In the case of the Avengers, they're always fighting baddies. You always wonder, are they going to win? Are they going to lose? Is it going to be a close run thing? And of course, we always know that the goodies are going to win. Um, those little battles. Uh, but they're always maybe using their superpowers if they've got them or if they haven't got superpowers like Batman, just using amazing tech and amazing stuff in order to rescue people. And um, I can't, you know, I don't know about you, uh, there might be things that you do that you feel heroic. For me, it used to be, if I, like, scored an amazing goal in football, I'd feel heroic. I'd feel like a professional. Or I hit a great shot in badminton or tennis or sport. Um, and actually, I think I've shared this before, but once I saved someone's life, why did that not get a cheer? They wouldn't be here. I saved someone's life. Uh, when I was lifeguarding and they were flapping about in the water, not knowing how to swim. So I did my little lifeguard thing and rescued them. And that was great for them in that moment. The family were obviously very pleased and very happy that I was watching and actually doing my job that summer in the States. Um, but actually, even though I was the hero in that moment, just gone last summer, I almost drowned in the sea in Devon. So um, just goes to show, like, actually, even though I was heroic, Sometimes we need to be rescued. I mean, I didn't need rescuing. I had my bodyboard. If I didn't have my bodyboard, I would have sunk to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean um, and never been seen again because I was in a current and it wasn't very fun. But all these times with like saving people and rescue and being a hero seems to be generally really temporary, doesn't it? It can like, you save a person and then that's great, but what next time? What, what carries on from there? And then we read this. Let me read this to you from Matthew 17. Because I think about kind of superheroes. I think about awesome scenes. Great. I mean, this would make a great movie scene, wouldn't it? I'm not sure how they would do that. But this is really cool. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. So three disciples. And led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. It means he changed. It means he didn't look as he did when they went up the mountain together. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Like, you go up the mountain with your mate Jesus, like as you do, to go and pray, to hang out, to spend some time together. And then all of a sudden, Jesus changes and is transformed. And so Peter, James, and John are there like, what is going on? This is a bit mental. And then following on from that, all of a sudden, two dead guys appear. Two guys that haven't been seen for hundreds of years, thousands of years in the case of Moses, appear on the mountain. Then Peter wants to have a camping trip. And then, and then if that wasn't enough, clouds envelop the mountain and a voice from heaven booms down and says, this is my son, listen to him. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And it's like, if you could picture that scene... I kind of think it's like something that you would see in the movies, something phenomenal. And uh, Carl spoke a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, but it was more to do with the character of Jesus. And when you think of Jesus, what's he like? You know, is he serious Jesus all the time? Is he occasionally funny Jesus? What kind of Jesus is there? And I think we can have the same thing here. When you picture what Jesus looks like, what do you think of? I would say probably, go out on a limb here, that you think he'll be... Well, in his 30s, maybe brown hair to about here, maybe a few curls, right? Um, maybe an outfit not too dissimilar to Mario's. Uh, sandals, perhaps. Uh, but that's how you view Jesus. If you're thinking, if I said Jesus and you thought of an image, you would, you would think that, wouldn't you? Am I right or am I wrong? Anybody? I'm right, yeah? Good, it's not just me. Except here, actually... We have, I think, a clearer view of what the real Jesus looks like. If we think about the fact that Jesus has been eternal, the second person of the Trinity is eternal. He's existed from the beginning and he exists now in glory. Then actually, he was only like that image that you think about for 33 years. The rest of the time, he's been like the description here. Transfigured, face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Now, if you start to think of Jesus like that, instead of the carpenter walking around the Middle East, I think you start, it starts to shape how you think about Jesus a bit more. You start to think, actually, this guy's a bit different. The light would be compelling. It would be overpowering. It would be glorious. And all through the Bible story, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, you see all these examples of the glory of God. And often, it's like fire comes down from heaven, or there are clouds booming around the place. And Jesus, as he is right now in heaven, is glorious. It's what he looks like. His face shines like the sun. He's bright. He's radiant. Now, if we worship Jesus like that, I think that's a bit of a game changer for us. No longer is Jesus just some guy who was around a couple of thousand years ago and he was a bit of a carpenter and he was a bit of a lad. Like now, he's shining bright as the sun. The God who does that and looks like that, it changes how we view God. Let me read this description to you from Revelation 21, 23. Kind of the end time, if you like. The city, so talking about heaven, the future, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So its, its lamp is Jesus. There is no need for a sun or a moon, because the light comes from the sun, as in the Son of God. 
Like, we don't need it. We don't need anything artificial. We don't need any help. He's that glorious. There's no need for anything else. And even Elijah and Moses who were there, like, they're pretty stand-up guys. They're pretty great guys. Are nothing in comparison to the sun. It's the sun who's transfigured. It's the sun who's changed. And I was thinking about this a little bit with it being bonfire night. I don't know if anyone's already done Have people done that already? Did people do that yesterday? Or people doing that? I don't know. Uh, we've not done it at all. We had a few sparklers last night. But with it being bonfire night, I was just thinking, actually, because bonfires are quite illuminating. They're quite glorious. They, they, they give off warmth. Um, they're just great things to look at, I think. It might be because I'm a bloke and I like kind of fire. But I, I think bonfires, big bonfires, are really impressive things. And it lights up the whole sky. And I was thinking a little bit about Maybe God's glory is a little bit like a bonfire. And uh, if we were kind of Peter, James, and John today, if you like, what, what do we do with that? Do we just look at it? Um, do we just behold it? Which I think there's part of what we're to do is to behold who God is and his glory. And often we don't do that because we maybe have a small Jesus and our problems are so big, but our Jesus is so small. But actually, I was thinking about it, like Jesus is a bit like a bonfire, and perhaps we're like some sticks. And have you ever done that thing where, you may have done this, where you've got a fire, and you take a stick, and you stick, you hold onto the stick on one end, obviously with health and safety stuff going on here, and you hold the other end into the fire, and it starts burning, right? Anyone ever done that? And then it catches, and it's great. And you bring it out of the fire, and it burns for a bit. It glows. That kind of the embers and the heat and the illumination and the glory of it, if you like, has been transferred to this stick. Of course, the stick doesn't, it doesn't last indefinitely. That's what the bonfire is doing. If you keep adding fuel, it will continue to burn. But I was thinking, actually, we can be a little bit like sticks when it comes to the glory of God. If we pictured the glory of God not too dissimilar to a bonfire, which is, you know, on bonfire night, I thought that made sense. So often, we, we don't even see the glory of God because we're not looking for it because maybe we're thinking of God or Jesus just in his humanity. But actually, when we start to realize he's glorious, he's amazing, what we need to do if we want to burn for God, if we want to be lit up for God, if we want to be hot for the things of God and see God do amazing things, is we've got to burn, haven't we? Right? We can't just, we, we've got to see God in his glory and get involved in that. And just like a stick, we've got to get in there, be lit, and then take that out of the fire. And that for us would mean mission. For us, that would mean sharing the good news of Jesus with people. It's taking the glory of God and showing that in a dark world. I think the transfiguration of Jesus gives us a glimpse of God's glory. And when we kind of have a glimpse of how amazing God is, that should shape how we approach him, should shape what we're doing in our worship. You know, when we're worshiping God and we're praising God, yes, he's worth it and that's great and that's why we sing. But part of that is we're entering into his presence that would would somehow glimpse his glory, that would somehow get some of that for ourselves so it can be seen in the rest of the world. That's what happens. That's what faith does. It builds our faith and it builds God's glory in our hearts. And then it says this, Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So it's already like an amazing scene. Jesus is like lit up. Picture it however you want to. And then I think if I could handpick two heroes of the Old Testament to be on the mountain with Jesus, I'd pick Elijah and Moses. I think. Moses, the guy with the tablets, 
brilliant leader of people out of, out of uh, Egypt. The Exodus, amazing. Elijah, fire from heaven, the leader of all the prophets of God. And those two rock up on the mountain. Just for reference, Moses has been dead for about 1,500 years. And Elijah, well, he didn't die, but he was taken into heaven about 800 to 900 years before this happened. So it's pretty amazing that these two guys have rocked up with Jesus. And you think, well, a couple of things came into my mind. The first one was, how do Peter, James, and John know it's Elijah and Moses? Never thought about that. Did they do some grand announcement? Did they wear name badges like Redeemer Connect? Like, they've, been, they've never seen them. I don't think they had picture books depicting what they look like. But yet, these two guys, and they know exactly who they are. They know it's Elijah. They know it's Moses. And it's all to do with what they represent. Moses representing the law, so the first five books of the Bible. Elijah representing the prophets, which is the rest of it. And what it's saying is, the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of what you have is all pointing towards this promised Messiah. And guess which one he is? Yes, that's right. The one lit up in the middle. You were wondering who I am? Well, let Moses and Elijah tell you, yes, I'm the son of God. The lighty up one. The glorious one. That's why they're there on the mountain. And then Peter does what Peter does best. Sticks his kind of foot in it, if you like. And actually, I, I love Peter because he's just like us, isn't he? You know, if we were on the mountain there, I think we'd probably be trying to take selfies today. Oh, can I get Jesus in a selfie? Can I get Elijah and Moses in? Maybe we'd try and get autographs from the dead guys. And we'd be like, wow, this was amazing. And we'd hashtag it and all that kind of stuff. But then Peter decided, oh, well, we don't do that yet. We don't have smartphones. So instead, we'll go camping. I'll set up three tents. He says, Lord, it's really good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He's not really plugging for a camp camping experience, but he's doing something very, I would say subtle. It's really obvious in this case, but it can be really subtle for us as Christians, is he wants to hold the moment. He wants to preserve this moment forever. We'll camp We'll make a big thing out of it. We'll be here for days. It will be wonderful. I can ask Elijah what it was like back then. I can ask Moses, how were the people when you were walking through the desert? I can ask Jesus a bunch of questions too. It's going to be amazing. Peter wants to preserve the moment forever. He wants to stay on top of the mountain with some tents and never move from that place. Now, you might think, oh, that's great. I'd love that. But actually, if we see the story continue and what Jesus goes on to do, he can't just stay on the mountain, can he? Even though Peter wants to preserve it, he can't just stay on the mountain. And actually, this is um, something I've been thinking about a little bit. With these, sometimes we have mountaintop experiences with God, don't we? I don't know if you've ever had one of those, where there's been moments where maybe the presence of God has just been really kind of thick, if you like, or you've encountered God in a really uh, profound way. It might be that somebody's spoken something to you, or somebody shared a Bible passage with you that just in that exact moment was exactly what you needed to hear, and it's been an amazing moment with God. Maybe it's been a time of worship where you've just been like, I don't want this moment to ever stop. It's kind of what Peter's going for here, except for these mountaintop experiences. They're supposed to stop. We're not supposed to have them indefinitely. 
because God's doing something for that moment. And what Peter's trying to do is say, well, I want to keep this moment forever. I'm not bothered about what we're going to carry on and what we're going to do in the future. And that's the, the thing we do with these mountaintop experiences. I can think of plenty of examples. When I came to faith um, at 16, even though I'd been brought up in the church, it was off the back of, I suppose, the more recent charismatic movement and the move of the Holy Spirit in the 90s. And that kind of awakened something in me in terms of faith in God. And all sorts of amazing things happened from seeing people healed to being in, this might not sound amazing, but worshipping for like eight to ten hours, solid. It was really cool. But like... I look back on those days and I'm like, wow, these were amazing moments with God where you just felt his presence, where you were on a mountaintop experience, where God was just doing amazing things, where people were sharing prophecies and people were like spot on with them or people were speaking in tongues and there was interpretation of tongues and there was spontaneous worship going off and just this amazing experience with God. And what happens is we go, well... I want to preserve that, and I look back and go, well, that happened to me when I was 16, 17, so I'll try and recreate it. Or I'll go, well, this stuff, this worship songs we're doing, and this moment with God is just not good enough because it's not as good as it was back then. It's not the same. I really like the song that we sang back when I was 16, and we don't do it anymore. Or uh, I, I want to recreate that moment. And actually, I think this kind of story here is Peter trying to go, well, we'll keep this moment forever. Whereas actually, I think God goes, yes, I want you to have mountaintop experiences. I want you to meet me in great ways. But it doesn't end there. You enjoy it whilst you're in it, but it's supposed to propel you onto something else. It's not just supposed to be indefinite in it happening. And actually, what if, what if instead of trying to recreate something that God has done in the past, God wants to do something new. You thought about that? Like, oh, it was great. And these, these were the days. The, the, those were the good old days. I love this moment or that moment or when this song was out. And what happens if God wants to do something new today with us? And we have the option of whether we're going to draw into his presence, draw in and see him for all he is, his glory, or not. And we could manufacture past experiences or we could actually be keen on seeing what God is up to today. You know what? And I think having a Jesus that is this glorified, transfigured Jesus, if you think of Jesus in that, really helps. I think that really helps me think, oh, God is bigger than the valley experience that I face right now. Even Jesus is, you know. Often we think of Jesus as maybe unable to help or, or distant or just the carpenter's son. But no. He's the transfigured, risen, reigning, glorious Jesus who does amazing things. And actually, there's a bit of a clue here. I love this. When Peter's saying, should we, should we get some tents? Should we go camping? And all of a sudden, there's the, this is my son. Not in a Vader voice like Chris's. I don't know what it would sound like. We've no idea. But it's as if God the Father says, shut up, Peter. Stop trying to go camping. We're not interested. Listen to what I've got to say. He interrupts him. It's as if Peter would have carried on with his sentence and God the Father interrupts and say, no, it says here, Peter was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Does anybody recognize that language? We've, I mean, we've done it in Matthew, albeit it was about two years ago. So give you the benefit of the doubt. It was a little bit of a time ago. 
But the baptism of Jesus, when it's like this most glorious scene and the heavens open and a voice from heaven calls down and says, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. Here on a mountaintop, God the Father says, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. And there's one difference. There's one difference from the two things and it's this. He says, listen to him. You might think, that's really obvious. Why does, why does God the Father need to clarify that we should listen to him, that we should listen to what Jesus has to say? Because of who he is and what he goes on to do, we have to listen to him. If we're going to be those people that do burn bright, that do draw close to the presence of God and then are transformed and made more like Christ, then we have to listen to him, which begs the question, how do I listen to God? It's all well and good for Peter, James, and John because they got like an audience with him. They were on a mountaintop. I've not had a mountaintop experience. Has anybody else seen the transfigured Jesus lately? Like, I don't think so. I've not seen him. I've not been with Peter, James, and John and had those moments. But it's, it's the Father saying, your priority, something you need to do as you go through this life, is to listen to my son. So listen to the words of Jesus. Don't listen to Dave in the office. His opinion doesn't matter. In terms of who God is, I don't know if you know someone called Dave. But listen to what the son says. How do we listen to him? I'm really thankful that Peter answers that for us. It's not just kind of making up what we want or what we think Jesus says. Listen to what Peter himself says in his own letter. This is pretty cool. This is what Peter, guy who witnesses this really kind of amazing moment, superhero, heroic moment, says in his epistle. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you the power and coming of Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. That's Peter saying, I was there, it happened, and then he says this. So this is to do with listening to Jesus. And we have, speaking in the letter to the church, to a bunch of people who were not there on the mountainside. So we can apply that to us today because none of us were there a couple of thousand years ago on the mountain. We have something more sure Peter says, than that experience. That might be hard to believe because I'm like, I want the transfiguration experience. I want to see Jesus' face like bright like the sun. But Peter says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. That's what Peter says. Peter says, it was great. I was there. It was fantastic. But you've got something else. You've got the prophetic word. In other words, he says, you've got this. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've got the words of Jesus. You've got what it means to listen to God in the whole of the Old Testament. Obviously, he can't be talking about the New Testament because it's not been written at that point. But we can infer that it means that too. But it certainly means the Old Testament. This word is all about Jesus. You want to know what God's like? You want to know what it means to live for God today? Then it's all there for us. Now, of course, beyond that, of course, there's we see God in creation. We see God in 
uh, acts of justice. We see God in the prophetic. We see God in all these other ways. But there's a, a thing for us. If we want to draw close to that bonfire, if you like, if we want to be lit, if we want to follow after Jesus well, if we want to be heroic in our faith, I would say, the key to that is listening to Jesus. Because that's what drives us. That's what drives us back to those mountaintop experiences and then drives us into the world on mission. We can't just stay on the mountaintop experience because there's people who need to know about Jesus. Jesus needed to come down the mountain because he needed to die on a cross because he needed to be the ultimate superhero when he rescues all of us from sin, death, and all of that rubbish which we pile on our shoulders. You're looking for heroes in this life, then you look no further than Jesus, I think. I mean, what's more heroic than that? Superman, he's great, isn't he? He can do all sorts of things. But, like, he gets done in by, like, what is it? That green stuff, kryptonite. Like, that's easy. Spider-Man, well, I don't know. He's, he's a bit rubbish. But Jesus, Jesus beat death. Do any of these other superheroes, can they beat death? Like, and then not die again. Because I saw you, like, coming up with a superhero who's probably resurrected somewhere in some sort of comic. But, like, Jesus doesn't die again. He's now glorious, that picture that we have of the transfiguration. That's what he's like right now, reigning in heaven. And for us today, the words of the Father to the Son should just be epic for us. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. That's what God the Father says to his Son. And you know what the Bible talks about in the New Testament? It talks about if we're those who follow God, if we're those who put our trust in Jesus, it uses this language where it says that we are now in Christ. I don't know if you've come across that. In the New Testament, it talks about being in Christ, which means when the Father sees us, he sees the Son. So you know what that means for us today? Like if we're, if we're full of faith, if we're following after Jesus, if we've surrendered our life to him, that the Father says to us, oh, this is my beloved son or daughter. Oh, I love them because they love Jesus. I see Jesus in them. Like we become the children of God. We, we get brought into this amazing thing. We, we're brought into the family of God. And with that and because of that, you know, on bonfire night of all nights, if there's one thing that we want to burn bright with in this world, it's got to be with the love and the grace and the kindness of Jesus. And we've got to take those words of Jesus into the world with us. You know, when thinking about Superhero Sunday and thinking about all of these things, about what it means to be heroic or super. You know, in this day and age where it's actually quite difficult at school or at, at college or at work to follow after God sometimes, it can be really hard, can't it? It can be really tough. But actually, if we're to follow after Jesus, I think, that, I think that's kind of, I think that's pretty super. I think that's pretty heroic of all the things that we can choose to do. You know, yes, there's, you know, great minds uh, creating things and inventions and people making music and sportsmen and idols and movies and all these things but to be a follower of Jesus to be like the one who's rescued everyone the one who loves everyone and to be the kind of burning glowing bright stick if you like to be seen and to share that with the world even when it's really tough even when the world hates it I think that's really heroic and I think the key to that for us if you want to be able to burn bright for God if you want to be able to Keep going and growing your faith is to just do exactly what God the Father says of his son there. Listen to him. I think it's like as straightforward as that. Listen to his voice. Not the voice of the world. Not the voice of Dave in the office. 
but listen to Jesus.